Find Philippians chapter 4 for me. Find your journal. <clears throat> and in your notes, here's what I want you to write down. I want you to write the title tonight, Anxiety and Jesus, at the top of your notes. Anxiety and Jesus. As I said a moment ago in the interview, man, I love having fun with you guys and laughing and sharing, sharing the goofy parts of my story because there's a lot of goofy parts to it. But also, man, my story is filtered with anxiety. My story is filled with things like depression and insecurities and worries. Fear is a big part of my testimony. In fact, the first verse I ever memorized was Isaiah 41.10. Some of you could probably say it with me. It says, do not fear for I am with you. Don't be afraid for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And so I know that in the room tonight, I know that you're walking through a whole lot of different things. Whether you're in the ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, or 12th grade, anxiety is a big deal. And what happens is we begin to worry, we begin to stress, we begin to feel like when circumstances fall apart, our world is falling apart. What people think of us is a big deal to this generation. Social media, TikTok, and Instagram, the way that we compare ourselves to other people often causes a lot of anxiety, fears, and worries. And so tonight, here's my prayer. What I really want to do is I want to look at Philippians chapter 4 and see what Paul calls the believers in Philippi to do and see how that impacts us tonight as 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade students. And so for you, as you're taking notes, I do encourage you, man. I believe that the Lord brought you here tonight for a reason. I don't know what that reason is, but the Lord does, and you might know why you're here tonight. And so I want to give you a question to write down in your notes. I want you to write this down. What am I constantly worried about? Let's start with a question and let's reflect for a moment. You got a lot of opportunities in here to get distracted, to man, let your buddies mess with you, show you stuff on their phone. I encourage you, man, lock in with me tonight. What am I constantly worried about? And really reflect for a moment, man. I'm serious. Really think. What causes you to get stressed out? Not just the Grizzlies when they can't seem to hold on to a lead and get down and try to save it every fourth quarter. By the way, y'all see John Morant last night. Amen? That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. That's right. Not just the Grizzlies, man. Not just stuff that, like, small stuff, but what gets you at a place where you feel like you can't breathe because you're worried and you're fearful? What are those things? Would you be willing to name them tonight? Would you be willing to name them tonight to take them to the Lord and see what he wants to do? Now, one thing that's going to come up on the screen is this. Scriptural joy is not situational joy. Amen. So before we go to Philippians 4, understand this very quick, quickly, that scriptural joy as the way that Paul is going to describe it, as the way Jesus describes it in his teachings, is this not a situational joy? Now, what this means is for you and me to have joy, for us to have peace, for us to walk in a way where our lives, where we have real satisfaction, that means that your satisfaction of your soul, watch this, is not dependent on situations. Understand this, that your joy should not change based on circumstances because your joy should be rooted in the character of Jesus Christ who does not change. Now, for a lot of us, man, that's like an ideal world, right? <laughs> like, let's be honest. I have been worried like four times today, right? <laughs> I hate public speaking. Y'all know my testimony. I'm a worrier. You probably have been worried today. Man, we got some seniors in here that are about to graduate high school and go into college. Man, listen, that's a change of season of life. 
be a lot of stuff to be worried about. Some of y'all going to union, some of y'all going off. Some of you guys are ninth graders, and you're just stressed out about 10th grade. Let's be honest, just another grade. <laughs> you're looking at it, and you're like, I got another three years of this. One's enough. <laughs> you know? We worry, we stress. But what scripture says, and I mean this, is that your joy should not be based on a season of life. Your joy should not be based on a situation. Your joy should be based on who Jesus Christ is, and that is truth. So tonight, let's look at Philippians 4 through those lens. Now, as Paul speaks to the church in Philippi, remember, they are under attack from both within and without. And I want to speak to those. I know that we have a lot of people in here who are probably guests. It's your first time. You're here for volleyball. Praise God. Glad you're here. I love volleyball too. I'm just not good at it. But we're glad you're here. But understand this. In Philippi, they were having conflicts within and without. And the reason why is because the enemy is crafty and he is going to try to attack believers from outside these walls, when you go to your school, when you go to your peers and they're not following out to Jesus and you experience spiritual warfare. But at the same time, I mean, we experience spiritual warfare in the church. You could come into a place like this on a Wednesday night and somebody be mean to you who's claiming to be a believer and you could walk away with a sour view of the church. That's where I was as a ninth grader because somebody was mean to me. And so the enemy would love, I don't know where you are, but the enemy would love for you to think bad of the church because of a person. And that's what's happening. They're under attack. And Paul is going to speak that our identity and our, our joy is not based in even how other people treat us. It's based in Jesus Christ and what he has done for you on the cross, which is he has died for your sins, rose from the grave three days later, and because of that, you have hope. Aren't you grateful for that tonight? Amen. <laughs> I tell you what, I'm grateful for hope. <clears throat> Let's look at this. Look with me at Philippians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 4. Now, here's what Paul says after he's coming off of chapter 3 where he's talking about reaching forward to God's goal, joining him and imitating Christ. Here he comes in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. He says it twice. In one verse, he says rejoice twice. Verse 5. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. Why? The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God. Look at this. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Did you notice that Paul said very clearly that peace comes when the prayer goes up? Not when the answer comes down that your peace can be found simply in you spending time with the Lord, whether he answers what you're looking for or not. That peace comes from you just sitting at the feet of Jesus. That peace can rule your heart and can rule your life just by praying. So I have one main takeaway, one thing tonight that I want you to walk out those doors remembering. And here it is. The main takeaway is this. A worried heart is not a worshiping heart. And I know that's tough, man. It ain't easy to swallow. It's hard for me too, but it's truth. A worried heart is not a worshiping heart. I feel for Generation Z. I really do. I grew up in the MySpace era where we had top eights and top 16 friends lists, and it caused havoc. But y'all are growing up at a pivotal age in the TikTok era, the Instagram era, the social media era where everything is instant and immediate. And I know when you get on your social media, I know you see a lot about anxiety. It's a buzzword. 
It's very popular to throw around. A lot of us love to say we, we struggle with anxiety. It's kind of become this cool thing or this excuse thing to say I struggle with anxiety. But high school students, I'll be honest with you, a lot of people have a really misinformed definition of what anxiety really is. So let's define this thing from the very beginning. Is that okay? I appreciate you. I like a responsive group. Is that okay with y'all? That sound good? Okay, there it is. There it is. I like that. Here's the informal definition. I'm going to put this on the screen. You ain't got to write it, but if you want to take a picture of it, that's fine with me. The informal definition is this. Anxiety is a form of fear in which the person perceives a threat of danger to themselves, someone they cherish, or something they cherish. So whenever you hear the word anxiety, high school students, you can very clearly relate it to the word threat. For those of you who walked in here tonight and you're worried about your family, you're worried about your grades, you're worried about graduating, you're worried about what people think of you, you're worried about your clothes, you're worried about your shoes, you're worried about this world, you're worried, understand, anxiety, threat, they go together. In fact, I love this quote. And again, you can take a picture of anything I put on the screen tonight. The quote on this Watch this. This is really good. I don't want you to miss this. It says that our word fear, okay, let's separate fear and anxiety for a moment. Our word fear doesn't discriminate between threats that are present or future, real or perceived, but it usually says, watch this. Here's what fear says. I am in danger. Fear is interesting because it's all about the present. When you're afraid, it's the here, it's the now, right? If I think that somebody from the crowd is going to walk up and try to hit me, I might be in fear of this right now if I see him coming towards me. I am in danger. But look at the rest of this quote. I love this. Anxiety and worry are less oriented to the present. They say, I think there will be a danger. You see the difference? I think there will be a danger. In other words, something or someone I love might be threatened in the future. That's Ed Welch from Running Scared. Students, one thing I've learned in studying anxiety is that it is always based on what might happen. That your worries and your anxiety are often based on hypothetical scenarios, right? I'll give you an example. You got a first date coming up, right? Oh, yeah, we all love first dates, man. I don't know when you're allowed to start dating, maybe ninth grade, maybe 12th grade. When you go on your first date, you get nervous. I remember my first date with my wife. I was real nervous. My hands were all sweaty. I was scared to talk. I started having these thoughts in my mind that I'm going to mess this date up. You ever had one thought into your mind? You have no idea where it comes from. It just ruins your day. You ever had that happen? Woo! Threw me off, man. I said, I am going to mess this up. And that one thought becomes a belief. All of a sudden, you believe you're going to mess this up. You start to believe, knowing that you ain't good enough that this date's going to go bad, that it's going to fall short. And what happens is when you start believing a lie, and lies get deep, when you start believing a lie, you start acting out to fight against that lie, which means you'll go on a first date and be somebody that's not you completely, all because you're scared that you might end up doing something embarrassing because of a hypothetical scenario in your mind. When you walk into a classroom, when you walk in here and you're scared that you might sit alone, you don't know who you're going to sit with. But outside those doors, before you walk in, you got to make sure you have somebody to sit with. You're scared you might be sitting alone. That's worry. That's anxiety. It's all about hypothetical scenarios in our mind. And for me, man, as a 9th to 12th grader, I remember how hard it was to fight those. I had all kinds of hypothetical scenarios about prom, about school, about my future, about my friendships. All these what-if scenarios running through my mind. That's what happens 
with anxiety. You start thinking about what could go wrong, what might happen. And students, here's the danger. There's a billion, there's a billion what-if scenarios, which means your anxiety could never end. I promise the good's coming. We're going to talk about the solution, but let's talk about how bad anxiety and worry can be. You can get stuck in anxiety like quicksand, and it'll pull you down, and you can't find a way out. There's a million what-if scenarios. So what you come in, what you write down for what you're worried about? Is it family? Your mom, your dad, your siblings? There's a billion scenarios that it could go wrong, and you can sit there and worry about it all day long. Is it what people think of you? At the end of the day, man, I spent so much of high school worried about what other people thought of me, even though I couldn't, couldn't care less what God thought of me. And I wish I could go back and change that because that was a waste of four years. And some of you, man, are even believers. I'm not just talking to lost people. I'm talking to believers, man. Some of you struggle like I do where you're in this room and you care so much about what people think. And it causes you to be so anxious and so worried all the time. You can't control their mind. And it causes this anxiety and this worry. Students, you can be free of that. Because some of you, you're in that pit, but you don't know how to get out of it. You're stuck. You've thrown yourself in it. You can't stop worrying. You can't stop being anxious. You know you're here tonight, and you're like, man, listen, I don't know who this dude is, but God brought me here for a reason because I can't stop worrying, and I don't know if I can be victorious. Hear me. You can. There is victory in Christ. You don't have to be a victim. You can't have victory. But here's how you get out of that pit of worry and anxiety. Paul says, pray and rejoice. At some point, prayer is going to have to become everything and not just an extra thing. Not just a thing that we tack onto our lives, but it has to become our lives. As students, as clear as I can stand right here in front of you, I'm telling you, you can experience victory in your mind over your fear, your worry, and your anxiety. But these what-if scenarios have to be laid at the feet of Jesus. Because they'll keep going and they'll keep going and they'll keep going. I don't know what it is for you tonight, but I know coming to preach on anxiety, the Lord's doing something with you. Anxiety is not just something that introverted people struggle with either. I've seen the most extroverted life of the party people freeze up when it comes to sharing the gospel. This is not just an introverted person thing. I'll give you some statistics because these are mind-blowing, and then we're going to talk about the solution. A recent study on worrying found this, and this is your generation. This is Gen Z and millennials. This is crazy. 40% of what we worry about never happens. Ain't that crazy? Ain't that wild? The what-if scenarios we play out in our mind. 30% of what we worry about deals with the past, so a lot of us can't live in the now because we're stuck in the past. We're kind of stuck. We don't know what to do. Only 8% of our worries were found to be actual legit concerns. And then 92% of what we worry about was found to be wasted time. Do you ever feel like you're wasting your time? Worrying, being anxious, things you can't control. Here's one thing I want you to understand. Anxiety happens when you feel threatened. When something you love feels threatened. When someone you love feels threatened, whenever you're anxious, it's because there's a threat, and it's a threat to what you treasure. Now, Jesus says this. He says in Matthew, watch closely. He says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21 on treasure. This is so good. Look at this. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. 
But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What's your treasure tonight? What do you hold closest to your heart? Because every time you get anxious and you get worried, it means that which you treasure is under threat, attack. So for some of us, man, y'all remember when that electricity went out in February? Ooh, ice storm came. I don't know if you had power. Me and my wife didn't have power. Taking cold showers, sleeping up here on my futon in the, in the office. It was a tough era. If your treasure is heat in the wintertime and the power goes out and all of a sudden heat's taken away, if that's your treasure, that heat comes under attack, you feel anxious, you feel worried. Let's talk about money. If money is something that you treasure, let's say that that's your, your whole thing, right? I'm going to college. I'm going to build a career. I'm going to get as much money as I can and build a stable life. That's cool. But if money is your treasure, if your career is your treasure, what happens when your career takes a turn for the worse that you can't control? What happens when money is constantly changing, when your career is under attack? What happens is you feel threatened to your treasure, and then you get anxious and you get worried. I've seen it happen in my own life. And so I would, I'll put this on the screen. You can write this down. Anxiety equals threat to your treasure, which equals your heart. So you have to understand, in order to rejoice and to pray without ceasing, as Paul says, you have to find what it is for you that you treasure and how it's coming under attack. If it's image, like how you look on social media, how do you look to other people? Then when they think worse of you, if that's your treasure, everything's gonna go downhill. I'm married, praise God. Hannah's back in the room. Y'all make some noise for my wife tonight, amen? Hallelujah, that's right, amen. Man, I love Hannah. Hannah is amazing. We have an amazing marriage. But I'll tell you this, she can't be my treasure. I can't be hers either. I mess up too much. I fail too much. I don't take out the trash enough. <laughs> you can ask her. She'll tell you. I'm not exaggerating. Forget that trash all the time. I can't be her treasure. You know why? Because the minute I forget to take out that trash, then her whole world's rocked. She's worried. She's anxious. Same thing with me. I love Dakota. Man, Dakota is my best friend on this planet. There's not a single person I'm closer to than shoulders. <laughs> But his friendship can't be my treasure. What he thinks of me can't be my treasure. And your best friend might be in this room, but what they think of you can't be your treasure because even that can change. And when that comes under attack, when spiritual warfare happens in your friend group, in your friendships, if that's your treasure, you're going to feel your whole world rocked and you're going to feel anxious and you're going to feel worried. So what's your treasure tonight? What is your treasure tonight? I'll never forget for me, man, I was, in the, I was in the ninth grade. And, of course, I went to Bartlett High School, man, so y'all already know how it was for me. I was in a public school, and uh, I lived across the street from this girl. And I'll be honest with y'all, man, I'm going to be honest. I had a crush on her. Amen? Got the googly eyes. You have your boo. I wanted this girl to notice me, but she never did. And you saw my hair, so you know why. <laughs> I tried. I, this is no joke, man. This is what I did one day. I'll never forget this story. There was a basketball goal right next door to her house. And she was outside watching everybody play basketball. Now I grew up playing basketball, man, coached for a number of years at Bartlett High School, of course, where I met Dakota. And I decided that I was going to catch her attention by dunking the ball, right? 
Now, y'all can look at me right now. Now, I, I'm not 6'8". I'm not 6'7 now. I wasn't 6'8 then. <laughs> it didn't go backwards. I wasn't tall then. I'm 5'11". Six foot with shoes. Amen. I decided I was going to dunk the basketball. I'll never forget this. This is a true story. I'm not exaggerating on any of this. So this is what I did, man. It was a 10-foot goal. So I can't get up there. I can't dunk the ball. I go back to my parents' house. I'm like, Mom, I need help. I'm walking around. I'm pacing around. And I see, ah, boom, exactly what I need, a stool. <laughs> Look, man, I thought it was a good idea. I didn't have nobody to tell me it was a bad idea. I grab the stool, I walk across the street. Man, I walk across the street like I had something to prove too, man. I had a little walk to me and everything, had my jersey on. So this is no joke, I set, this is in front of everybody. I set the stool right in front of the goal. This is like a bathroom stool that you stand on to brush your teeth, right? <laughs> so this is not like a good stool. This is a terrible looking stool. Like it's ugly, it's hideous, it's beaten up. And I sat in front of the goal and I back up and I act like I'm something's really about to happen. Like in my mind, I made it out that like, all right, I'm gonna dump this basketball and then we're gonna go on a date and everything's gonna be history, you know? Get married, have kids, have a house, have a dog, maybe some fish, you know what I'm saying? I was like, this is gonna set me up for life. I tie my shoes, shoes tied. I have my J's on. My jersey on, I'm ready to go. This is no joke. I go running. The whole neighborhood's watching, man. It makes me cringe as I think about it. I go running, and I, I plant my left foot on the stool, and I go to jump. And Q, I felt the worst feeling you could ever feel in this moment. The stool went, whoa. <laughs> and, bro, I saw the sky. <laughs> I started looking up. I'm like, man, I can't see the rim no more, but I sure can see the sky now. <laughs> Everyone, when I tell you I landed on the driveway payment, bam, on my back, laid out, hurt. I'm telling you, I hit the back of my head on concrete, embarrassed, hurt. Worst part was, I kid you not, I looked over. She didn't even help me up. She went inside the house. <laughs> Jamal and David came over and helped me up. She went inside the house. Man, I was hurt. I'm down. You're dead serious. And, man, I thought about this story because it's so stupid and it's so, it's, it's stuck into my mind. The problem wasn't my shoes. The problem wasn't my motivation. I was fired up enough to do it. The problem was I put my weight on a foundation that couldn't hold me up. And I'll see where I'm going. It ain't rocket science. This stool could not support my weight. It could not support my faith to lift me up to where I was trying to go. And because of that, I ended up on my back. A lot of y'all in here, if we're going to be honest, you are worried and anxious and fearful. And here's why. You might know the Lord, but you are placing your weight. You are putting your faith in a foundation that can't support you. You are counting on something in this world to take you up to the next level, but anything in this world is a shaky foundation and is always going to slide. If you believe that getting people to like you is enough to get you to the next level, every single time that stool will slide because people's approval is shaky. If you believe it's your image, if you believe it's your job, if you believe it's anything in this world, anything, that can take you to where you're supposed to go. If you place your faith in that, you will slip and you will find yourself anxious and worried and probably embarrassed just like me. Here's what the Bible says about Christ. He is an immovable foundation. You build your house on the rock, you don't build your house on the sand or the stool. <laughs> that when you, believer, place your faith and the weight of your life onto Jesus Christ, he is a foundation that cannot be moved, which means no matter what storm you, hit, you go through, no matter what trial you face, no matter what people say about you, you know who you are in Christ because you're standing on the foundation that can't be moved. I'm telling you, 
If you want to rejoice and rejoice at all times, you have to be standing on the word of God. You can't be standing on what other people think of you. You can't be standing on your image on social media. You can't be standing on what the church thinks of you. You have to stand on the power of Jesus Christ. Now, I know it's easier said than done, especially in here. When you go out there and you got people around you that are living in sin, it's hard. But the power of the Holy Spirit in you can keep you on that foundation of Christ when nobody else is standing on it too. So I don't know what it is for you, but I have another scripture that I want to give you tonight. And that is Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. I love this text. Jesus says this. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I have one final thing I want to show you in scripture. And we're going to spend some time praying. In case you don't believe me, on where you place your faith and what you're standing on, I'll take you to Psalm 27. You don't have to turn. That'll be on the screen. But understand this. At a time in David's life when he is surrounded by enemies and he is surrounded by people trying to kill him, he tells us the secret to being content. And it's amazing. It's incredible. In fact, I'll show you Psalm 27, verses 1 to 4. He has every right to be fearful. He should be anxious. He should be worried. Yet there are no emotional indicators that he is struggling with anxiety, even though everybody around him is trying to kill him. Look at this. It's Psalm 27, verse 1 to 4. The Lord is, the, is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom should I dread? When evildoers came against me to devour my flesh, my foes and my enemies stumbled and fell. Though an army deploys against me, my heart will not be afraid. Though a war breaks out against me, I will still be confident. I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. Just a reminder, this was before the temple was even built. Solomon, David's son, built the temple. David hadn't even come up with the idea to build the temple yet. So when he says temple, understand this, David is talking about dwelling in God's presence. Presence. High school students, David's treasure in the middle of an army trying to kill him is God's presence. Do you know why he's not worried? You know why he's not anxious? Because unlike money, unlike opinions, unlike social media, unlike everything in this world, God's presence cannot be threatened. Remember what we just said. You'll be anxious whenever what your heart treasures comes under threat. David says that if God's presence is your treasure, you would never have any reason to be worried or anxious because there's not a single soul in this room or out there that can threaten God's presence. So tonight, if I can give you a great action step, you have to turn your mind consciously to trust in the Lord's presence as your treasure and rest in that, and rest in that. What did you come in here tonight worried about? Is God's presence bigger? I love Romans chapter 8, verses 38 to 39. Paul says, For I am persuaded 
that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is there anything greater than the Lord's presence in your life? I want to invite the band to make their way back up here. And I have one last thing I'll share with you. And then I'll be out. Well, I've loved being here with you tonight. And I know we could talk about anxiety for a long time. I'll never forget when I was moving out of my parents' house. I was 22 years old. I was coming to The View, our college ministry. And I was moving out. I lived at home for 22 years. And I was best friends with my dad. Some of you guys have really great parents. You need to tell them thank you. You need to tell them thank you. When I was moving out, I packed all my stuff up. I'll be honest, I had a girl car. It was an 024 Focus. I had subs in it, though. The trunk was banging. I packed my car up with as much stuff as I could. I had that long hair, so I'd pull up. People think it was a girl. They are like, man, them subs are nice, though. I was like, hey, what are you going to do? I stepped out of the car. Hey, like, oh. Packed my car up. I was moving out. My dad had been my best friend for 22 years. And, man, for me, I wanted to tell my dad thank you, you know, for being there for me, but we had never really talked like that. So it was hard to break that wall down and like be vulnerable and, and share like some real stuff with my dad. I wanted to, but I was scared to. So I packed my car up, drove out on my driveway. It's a beat up driveway. I'm telling you, my driveway growing up, this thing was rocky. It was tough. You pull out, you feel like you're on gravel road. It's tough. I got to the top of the street at the stop sign and I was sitting there in my car. Everything was packed up. And I could not get my foot on the gas pedal. I couldn't do it. Like, I was trying to drive off. I wanted to go move my stuff in. I wanted to stop thinking about it, but I, I couldn't do it. I had just missed a moment to tell my dad thank you, all because I was scared to be vulnerable and to be real with him. I was so worried about what he would think of me, so worried about looking a certain way, so anxious about it. And I sat there in that moment, man, and I almost thought about driving off, and I kept trying to get my foot on the gas, but I couldn't do it. I turned my car around. I drove back home. I drove, I drove to my parents' house. I pulled in the back. I walk in the door. I start crying. My dad looks at me. He starts crying. Two grown men are crying, and we ain't even said a word. And we're just looking at each other. That's what I told my dad, word for word. I said, Dad, thank you for being a best friend to me for 22 years. Thank you for kicking my tail when I needed my tail kicked. Thank you for being there for me. Thank you for never leaving me or forsaking me. And I had this moment that I will never forget with my dad where I just told him I was thankful for him being there. And man, as I thought back about that story, I cringe when I think about sitting at that stop sign because I almost missed it. It's a, it's a silly illustration, but guys, I almost missed two things, how thankful I should be for my dad and the opportunity to tell him thank you for his presence in my life. That's all it was. Not the lunch money, not the car, just his presence. And with anxiety, with worry, I'll tell you, some of you are here tonight, you are really close to missing it too. Now, I'm not talking about your dad. I'm not talking about your mom. I'm talking about your heavenly father. Some of you are here tonight, you are really close to missing that the greatest gift you will ever have from your father in heaven is not anything he can do for you, not anywhere he can take you, even though all things are possible with God. It's not any of that. It's simply that his presence has always been there for you. He has never left you. He has never forsaken you. He has never let you down. And every time you repent of your sin, he forgives you.